Amen. So we see, as you guys can see in this passage, there is a conflict that has arisen between Paul and Barnabas. Two, these two brothers had been faithfully serving alongside one another for quite some time. A conflict arises. But before that conflict arises, what we see in the text is that these two guys, they're in agreement as to what the mission is to be. That's in Acts 15.36. talks about we're going to return and we're going to visit the brothers in every city where they had proclaimed the word of the Lord. And when they are there, they're going to see how they are. So they had agreed on what the mission was going to be, but there was some conflict that had arisen as to who was going to be a part of that mission. The mission was, let's go back to all these churches that we have planted throughout this first missionary journey. The conflict was about who was going to go. And where are we at now, just for context, we're kind of at the conclusion of the first missionary journey and the beginning of the second one. And as they agree on what they are to do, they specifically disagree on this guy named John Mark. If you have been here for some time, if you were here when we were in Acts 13, we alluded to this conflict in Acts 13. We talked about how uh, we were going to read about this specific conflict here in Acts 15. Let me refresh you, refresh your memory just for a moment. Acts 13, 13, it says this, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and returned to Perga and Pamphyla, and John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. We talked about in that sermon, we talked about how we weren't really sure on why he had decided to leave them, right? We weren't really sure on why he decided to leave them. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was sickness. Maybe they had gotten in some argument or disagreed about something, but we don't know the reason. But what we do know from that, the combination of Acts 13 and specifically today's text, we do know that Paul was pretty frustrated with John Mark, and he negatively reacts to suggestions to bring John Mark back into the picture as they went and returned to the places they had been where they had proclaimed the hope of Christ. But I want us to understand, yes, the conflict is significant in today's passage, but the action of conflict is not the main thrust of the passage today. The main thrust of the passage today is the reaction of the men to the conflict, all right? So don't miss that. We're going we're gonna to spend all of our time on that. Paul and Barnabas, they disagree, right? They disagree, which tells us this, which should be encouragement for us. Believers are not immune to disagreement because believers are broken people, all right? Believers are not immune to disagreement because believers are broken people. Two of the most critical pieces to the early church, right? Paul and Barnabas, who God used in a mighty way during these early stages of the early church, two of the most bold missionaries of all time. In this passage, they disagree, right? And it tells us that it was a sharp disagreement, a sharp disagreement. Barnabas was ready to move on with John Mark, right? To move on from him uh, going away from them, from them, him leaving them. And he was ready to bring him with them as they went. But Paul, on the other hand, was not ready to do that. And there's a disagreement about that. He didn't think it was, it was the right time to bring John Mark back in and him to come with them. And they're frustrated with each other. And they disagree what we're going to see in a little bit, and we talked about this in Acts 13 as well, is Paul would eventually get to the point where he 
would say that John Mark is a co-laborer, right? That he is a person who is valuable to the mission and worthy to be on mission. He says all those things later on, but he's not there yet. It's clear that he's not there yet. He did not feel as though it was appropriate for John Mark to go as they went and began the second missionary journey. Barnabas, on the other hand, it's interesting when you study Barnabas a little bit, when you start studying historians about Barnabas or even looking to, to commentaries about Barnabas, many people refer to him as, and this is a quote, the ultimate encourager. Right? Barnabas was the ultimate encourager, and he was ready to thrust John Mark back into work, to bring him along with them. And as I sat with that for, for a little bit, there's a couple of things that, that came to my mind, two things that... I want to point out, did not happen, right? That could have so easily happened. Had these brothers been acting in their flesh, these two things could have so easily happened. Paul may have not been ready to serve alongside John Mark, right? He may not have been ready, but he does not object in the text to John Mark going with Barnabas. And the second thing, the response to the conflict between Barnabas and Paul and this is probably the one that's most convicting to me, the, the response to the conflict that both of these guys have, to the conflict that they have one of each, with each other, did not end with either one of them packing up their stuff and heading to the house. They kept going. We can learn a lot from this. Let me just say something that many of you know to be true, but you likely need to hear it. Ministry is messy. Right? Ministry is messy. You know why? Because people are involved. Because we are involved is why it's messy. The local church is messy. You know why the local church is messy? Because we are involved. Right? We are broken people. If it was messy for Paul and Barnabas, then we certainly are not immune to the messiness. You guys understand that? If you are a lot a part of a local church and you've not experienced a disagreement or a conflict, then wait. Okay? Wait. It will come and it will be difficult. To be crystal clear, look, there is no perfect church, there is no perfect church member, and there is no perfect pastor. Further, to be clear, we will not be fully sanctified this side of heaven. Neither will anybody else be fully sanctified this side of heaven. Therefore, none of us will ever be perfect. And if I, if I were to ask you guys, I'm not going to do this, but if I were to ask you guys, let me see a show of hands for someone who's experienced difficult circumstances in a relationship with a fellow believer, hands in this room would shoot to the ceiling, right? Further, if I were to ask let me have a show of hands for everyone in here who've experienced difficult circumstances within the life of the local church. Hands in this room would shoot to the ceiling. And you ask, the question, the, you ask yourself the question, why in the world do we have to face these things? You know why we face these things? Because we live in a fallen world. right? The dream is for there to be a perfect church. The dream is for there to be a perfect pastor. The dream is for there to be perfect church members. But there is not. That's why we need Jesus. You know, I had to give this similar clarifying statement a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again today. Listen, there are biblically appropriate reasons to go from one church to another, right? I've heard, I've sat across the table with so many of you who shared with me your very story about the church you were involved in and the reason that you left. There are biblically appropriate reasons 
And many of you left for the appropriate reason. So don't hear this as an attack on you. But let me read you something from a commentary from the one that's out there in the foyer, actually. Tomarita says this. Flawed humans, even these mighty missionaries, will sometimes face moments of contention. I'm thankful for this dose of harsh reality here in Acts because many dream of doing ministry in a perfect church, certain that a perfect pastorate or lay leader role is out there, but it's not. To fix our thoughts on the idea that there might be a perfect church, a perfect pastor, or a perfect ministry is similar to ministerial pornography, which appeals to the lustful hearts of idealists whose thirst is never satisfied as they bounce from one church to the next in hope of finding the ideal posts. We will all encounter, encounter relational challenges while doing God's work. So let's walk humbly and graciously before God and before one another. Let me say it this way. You should not be committed to a local church because of the pastor. You know why? They will fail you, right? I will fail you. You should not be committed to the local church because of its perfection. You know why? Because it's not perfect. You should not be committed to the local church because of its buildings or its programs or its resources. You know why? They'll let you down. You should be committed to the local church because of Christ, period. Period. I did not expect this to be this hard this morning. But I just want to say this, too. If you've been hurt by the church, I also would say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But learn from these two guys. Learn from these two guys. Conflict within the church. Church hurt. Whatever it is, do not give up on the local church. Right? You have no right. I'll say it this way to be more stern. You have no right as a believer, as a follower of Christ, to abandon Christ's church. No right. It may very well serve as a reason to find a new local church, but you have no right to abandon the local church altogether. And if you're sitting here today and you're a part of this church and if you experience pain within the church but you are still committed to a local church and you're not abandoning the local church, thank you for acting like Paul and Barnabas. Thank you. And instead of packing it up and going home, which is the temptation, you remain committed in the midst of difficulty. And the same thing that we see these two brothers do here. Thank you for that. Let's move on to the next point. Pointing back to a statement I made earlier, the gospel marches on even in the midst of conflict, right? The gospel marches on. Paul may not have been ready to serve alongside John Mark, but like I said earlier, he doesn't object to that. I'm going to reread for you verses 39 through 41. And there rose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The intense disagreement and frustration between Paul carried for John Mark did not lead to him stopping the mission altogether. He himself didn't want to go with him, but it does appear that his objection to Paul or John Mark going didn't include him stopping 
him from going. So what you see happening here is you see God using this conflict. Yes, there was a sharp disagreement, right? But God is sovereign over this disagreement. You know why? The disagreement, I don't know if you caught this, but the disagreement led to multiplication of the mission. Do you see that? Instead of one team going, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, you have two teams going. You have Paul and Silas, and you have Barnabas and John Mark. You have two teams instead of one going out, so twice the amount of distance is covered. Twice the amount of people hear the truth. God's sovereignty, God is sovereign over disagreement. Right? He uses this disagreement to multiply the mission. And we use the language sent out here because verse 40 tells us that they were commended by the brothers, by the church, to the grace of the Lord. Right? They were sending them out to go and strengthen these churches that had been planted. Double the ministry was happening because God was working his will through this conflict. I think sometimes we, at least this was my inclination when I was studying this passage, the, the tendency I had when I was looking at Paul and Barnabas is I was looking at two guys that just served with each other, right? But it's more than that. These two guys have a deep relationship, right? They're not just a co-laborers. They're brothers. They're, they're friends. We can't miss that. They did life together. Right? They did life together. So this was more than a, just a disagreement. This would have been painful for both of these guys. With that in mind, think about the significance of the posture that they are taking here. Right? Think about the significance of that. If you have a disagreement with someone that you care about deeply, right, that you happen to be on mission with, and you love them, and you have a deep relationship with them, and you are friends with them, and you have a disagreement like this, the tendency that it is for us is to just pack it up and go home. Quit. But if they would have packed it up and gone home here, the mission would not have continued. Right? Further, if Paul would have directed his attention instead of saying, okay, you take John Mark, and I'm just going to take Silas, and we'll go our separate ways. Instead of doing that, if he directed his attention and said, no, John Mark can't go. He is not ready to go. I'm going to fight this. If he would have done that, they would have distracted them from the mission, and the mission would not have continued as it did. Think about this. A very, very painful circumstance in the midst of Paul's life and a very, very painful circumstance in the midst of Barnabas's life both of them responded to that circumstance with a, a level of spiritual maturity that allowed them to continue marching forward with the mission God had put before them. We see clearly here that the gospel is at work, even in difficult and painful circumstances. And the gospel will go forward, period. Period. Yes, we see conflict here. Yes, we see two brothers frustrated. But yes, we see the gospel progress in the midst of it and multiplied in the midst of it. However, listen to this. However, from the scope of Scripture, we also know that quarreling with brothers and sisters is sinful. Okay? So don't hear me say that, oh, you said they were quarreling. That's cool. It's no big deal. No, look at the scope of Scripture. It is sinful. Philippians 2.14 do all things without grumbling or disrupting. 1 Corinthians 10, 
Some of them did grumble and were destroyed by the destroyer. What does it communicate to us, this passage? Even if we screw it up, God is going to see the gospel go forward. Right? We're, we can mess it up, but God is going to see the gospel advance. We also have the benefit of knowing that this particular quarrel here between, really it's between Paul and, and John Mark, we know that there is resolution in the end. Listen to this from Colossians. My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. That's Paul talking. Paul, again, talking. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. Again, this is Paul talking. And Philemon, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Again, this is Paul talking. So he refers to John Mark as a fellow worker. He refers to him as useful for ministry. He, ref- he says, hey, you should welcome this brother. So there's clearly, based on those texts, we see that reconciliation comes. So Paul, nor Barnabas, nor John Mark ever abandoned reconciliation. They never abandoned it. Paul, however he does it, he works through this disagreement that he has, and he comes to a point where he sees John Mark as useful for ministry. He never abandons reconciliation. Let me say this to you. You should never abandon reconciliation. You should never abandon it. For the context of this passage, it's speaking specifically about reconciling with a brother or sister in Christ. If there is a brother or sister in your life that you have conflict with, seek reconciliation. It takes Paul a while to get to the point where he sees John Mark as a brother. But guess what? He gets there. It may not be overnight, but he gets there. He doesn't abandon the relationship. He allows it to be restored. This was a, let me just say, this was a difficult week to prep a sermon, right? I had a hard time formulating thoughts. I don't know if you guys ever get to where you're sitting before, whatever you have to do. Like, you can put it in your, the context of what you're doing as well. And you sit there and you think, man, I'm trying to do this. And all that my mind is shooting is blanks right now. I can't get any traction. I don't know where I'm going. For me, I would pray over the passage and nothing right? I would sit over the passage for a couple of hours and nothing. I would read the text over and over and over and over again and nothing. How I typically develop a sermon is I'll read the text and then I'll come up with my outline before I ever look into commentaries. The reason I do that is because I want my thoughts to be the first ones that are generated and put on the page. And I was struggling and I didn't want to open a commentary for that reason, This went on for a couple days, and each of those days, I would eventually, as I sat there and nothing would happen, I would have to redirect my attention to something else because no progress was being made or some other responsibility in my life, whether it's family or another responsibility here at the church would would come in, and I would redirect my attention to that. And no progress was being made. And then I was, I don't even remember where I was sitting, but it was like a cinder block hit me in the face, like fell from the ceiling and hit me in the face. And the Lord screamed at me, conflict, pay attention to the text, conflict. 
And I saw this text in a completely different light after that. It's like the Lord opened my eyes. And then I opened the commentaries after I got my outline and was reminded that Scripture says what Scripture says. And that conflict was the very thing that all these guys focused on too. Why? Because that's what the text says. And then I thought about myself and I specifically thought about each one of you. And I asked myself the question, how often do we experience conflict? Every day. I would venture to say, unless you're sitting at home and you don't have a lot of interaction with people, I would say you experience some sort of conflict every single day. It's a reality of living in a fallen world. And it's challenging and it's hard and it's hurtful and it's painful and it can serve to drive us away from God's people. But I really want to challenge you, and I really want to challenge myself with some things that we see here from Paul and Barnabas. I'm going to ask the band to come back up as I issue these challenges to you. First thing I would say, and I want to make sure I articulate this well, because I would venture to say just by sheer numbers, there's likely someone sitting here today who is, who is not a believer. And you're listening to me and you're thinking, oh, he's talking about all this conflict between believers. Like, this doesn't pertain to me. I've never responded to prompting a spirit to put my faith in Christ. First, I would say, let me encourage you to do that today. And if, if you need to do that, there's tons of people around this room that would that love to have that conversation with you. But secondly, listen to this. I fully realize the reality of the brokenness and the imperfections of the, of the church and people who profess to be believers often is a barrier for people coming to faith in Christ. All right, let me just say it like that. I fully realize that is true. If you are not a believer, I want to communicate something that I think is so often missed in the Christian faith as it relates to the Christian faith. Listen, Jesus died for his church. And he died for his church, not because his church gets everything right. He died for his church because of our imperfections, right? So if you you see the imperfections of a believer, if you see the imperfections within the local church, here's what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you to, if you focus on those imperfections, allow that to open your eyes to the necessity that you have for Jesus Christ, I will also say, if a church claims to be perfect, I would say that's not a church. Our sin separates us from God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and he rose again three days later. If you were free from sin as he was, there'd be no need for that. There'd be no need for Jesus to die on the cross. There'd be no need for him to live a perfect life. But you're not sinless, and neither are God's people. We're broken people, redeemed by the, the grace of Christ. Allow the imperfections to drive you to looking at your need for a Savior. Respond to that today. I would also say this. This is probably the majority of us in the room. Just say it like this. Do not give up on his church or fellow believers. Do not give up on his church. Right? We are to love the church the same way Jesus does. Therefore, you have no right to abandon it. Right? You have no right to abandon it because of conflict. Rather, we should be buckling up and getting ready, right? 
Again, there may be times where you move from one local church to another, but you should never totally abandon gathering with fellow believers to open God's word, to, to pray with one another, to worship through song, right? To participate in the ordinance of the church, of baptism in the Lord's Supper, to discipling each other, to taking the gospel to all nations. Should never abandon that. I would say this, this is probably... One that may be difficult for some of us. If you're frustrated with a fellow believer, work work to reconcile sooner than later. Sit across from the table. Across from the table. And remember that as you converse with them, that your battle is not against them. Right? Don't look at them as though they are the enemy because they're not. You see that in Ephesians 6. It says, We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers, over present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If all believers could respond to conflict with Ephesians 6 in mind, as though it was actually true, do you know how much more impactful the global church would be? Right? Because we wouldn't be bickering with one another about every little thing. We would realize and our eyes would be open to the reality of I'm not battling my brother. I'm not battling my sister. I am battling the enemy and they aren't them. Don't let the enemy drive a wedge between you and a brother or sister. Don't let him do it. The simple truth of this text screams that the gospel marches on in the midst of conflict. God is not going to allow conflict to stop his purposes. Church, let's do everything that we can in our power, in our ability, so that we can accomplish his purposes, right? Let's do everything in our power. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for your word this morning. God, we're thankful. God, I'm thankful that I can read this text and I can see two guys that uh, God, are heroes of the faith. God, two critical pieces to the early church, two bold missionaries. God, I'm thankful that I can read this text and I can see that they too are human. God, and I can be encouraged by that. God, at the same time, I pray that, that we would learn from them. I pray for the person here in the room who's not a believer, that the, as they see imperfections in the life of believers, as they see imperfections in the church, God, instead of that being a something that drives them from the church, I pray that it would be something that opens their eyes to the necessity of Jesus Christ. God, in the same way, for believers in the room, God, as we approach conflict, God, may we not pack it up and head to the house. May we respond like Paul and Barnabas and go forward. May we do everything in our power to accomplish the mission that you have put before us. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.